Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Front lines. Today, the American secretaries of state and defense travel to a war zone to meet with Ukraine's president in Kyiv. At home, Putin's war is contributing to pain at the pump. It's Vladimir Putin's gas price increase. Can President Biden arm Ukraine and fight inflation at the same time? I'll speak to Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren and Ukrainian-born GOP Congresswoman Victoria Sparts next. And masks off. The CDC loses its mask fight for now. Mr. President, should people continue to wear masks on planes? That's up to them. But with variants multiplying and frustrations growing, are policies meeting the moment? White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator Dr. Ashish Jha joins me exclusively live in studio. Plus, true perks. The top Republican House leader caught on tape saying what he really thinks about Donald Trump and the insurrection. And it would be my recommendation we should be done. Will his public contradictions matter at all to House Republicans? Hello, I'm Dana Bash in Washington, where the State of Our Union is turning its eyes towards Kyiv. Today, the U.S. Secretaries of State and Defense are outside the wire. That's according to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. The pair are on a high-stakes diplomatic trip to meet with him in Kyiv. Zelensky caught the U.S. off guard Saturday when he announced the visit and warned that U.S. officials should not come, quote, with empty hands. On the battlefield, fighting is disrupting the Orthodox Easter holiday. In Odessa, a strategic port city, the mayor says Russian shelling killed at least eight people, including a three-month-old infant and her mother, as Russia reveals its goal in Ukraine is to take full control over southern Ukraine and the Donbass region. And two months in, the reverberations of Putin's war are contributing to an already difficult economic situation here in the U.S., where inflation is now above 8 percent. President Biden is trying to blame Vladimir Putin for high gas prices. But our first guest this morning says Democrats are going to need to address the concerns of Americans or face consequences at the polls. Joining me now, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, a member of the Armed Services Committee and the Banking Committee. Senator, thank you so much for joining me this morning. You wrote a new op-ed just this week warning about the economic pain that so many Americans are facing. Inflation is at a 40-year high. You have been working on economic issues your entire life. So 
Do you think that inflation has peaked? And could the U.S. be facing a recession? Look, we have a lot of economic headwinds in front of us. But the way I see this is how families are experiencing it right now. And that is because of supply chain problems and because of price gouging from giant corporations. Families are paying more at the pump. They're paying more when they go to the grocery store. They're paying more when they try to buy hamburger. And so it is the responsibility of Congress, of the president, to get out there and make the changes we need to make to bring down those prices for families. And we can do that. We have the tools. But we've got to, we've got to get up off our rear ends and make it happen. Do you think that America is heading towards a recession if it doesn't act, if Congress and, and the president yeah. don't act? Look, we are... We are in an uneasy economic moment, but I think it's, I think talk of recession is way too early. Uh, we are doing better on unkinking the supply chain, and that helps. Uh, we also need to push back against the giant corporations that have decided not only are they going to pass along costs, they're going to take a big dollop of extra profits. And those are things that get our economy I think the way to describe it is they get it out of whack. They get prices too high. We've got too many corporations that are doing too much profit gathering. But do keep in mind how strong many of the fundamentals are. Uh, the president has created 7.9 million new jobs in the first 14 months that he's been in office. Unemployment is low, and that is a very good sign. GDP is high. We're still mm -hmm. seeing growth. So, sure, there's plenty to worry about. Obviously, Ukraine is another unknown in that. But I think that, that for me, it's less concern about recession over the long arc and more about the immediacy of what's happening to American families and what we in Congress, what our administration can do about it now. We do those things, you get the fundamentals back in line, and I feel better about where the economy goes. Well, you probably have seen some highly respected economists, from Larry Summers to Jason Furman, say that it is, in fact, what Congress did, uh, the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, that was too big and is now a contributing factor to inflation. I understand there are a lot of factors that contribute to inflation. Is this one of them? You know, Dana, when someone says too big, I hope that they go talk to the millions, millions of small business owners whose businesses were saved because we actually put money into a rescue plan. I also hope they will talk to the millions of people who've gotten vaccinations uh, and who've gotten free testing because that's how we bring COVID under control so that businesses can be open, so that this economy can move forward. And talk to the millions of people who have jobs. Uh, just over a year ago, the economists were predicting that we were gonna be facing multiple years of high unemployment and low GDP. But because the Democrats acted, and let's be clear, the Democrats last spring had to act alone, couldn't pick up a single Republican vote. Because the Democrats acted, we have the basics, we have the fundamentals working in this economy. And you know, there's the difference. The Democrats are out there trying to do something. We're trying to save small businesses. We're trying to lower costs for the 
family who's standing there at the grocery checkout line and trying to figure out what to send back because they don't have enough money to cover. And what are the Republicans doing? They're saying, let's fight the culture wars. They have no ideas on the economy other than to impose pain on American families and small businesses. That's not an idea. What they want is they want power for themselves rather than to help the American people. You're talking about Republicans. Midterms are now less than 200 days away. I want to share part of President Biden's message to Democratic donors in Seattle just this week. He said, quote, I admit to you what I haven't done. And the reason I'm getting out on the road instead of dealing with the day-to-day emergencies in my office is making the case of what we've done. Is touting accomplishments a winning strategy for Democrats in November? I am very glad to talk about what we've done, obviously, and I think the president deserves real credit. But it's not enough. We've got less than 200 days until the election and American families are hurting. Our job while we are here in the majority is to deliver on behalf of those families. And that means making government work for them. And there is so much that we can do and so much, frankly, that is popular across the country, among Democrats, Republicans, and independents. We can, for example, stop the price gouging. Let's authorize the FTC to investigate and prosecute on price gouging. That'll help bring down prices. Let's attack the corruption in Washington head on so that we're actually saying members of Congress can't trade in stocks. Let's cancel student loan debt. The president has the power to do that all by himself and would touch the lives of tens of millions of people across this country. There is so much we can do. And if we do it over the next 200 days, we're going to be in fine shape. This is what and democracy you- is about. Take it to the people what we've done. But we need to get the work done. And if you don't, will you lose control of Congress? Yeah, I think we're going to be in real trouble. If we don't get up and deliver, then I believe that Democrats are going to lose. Democrats win when they do what, when they work on behalf of working people. And we can't just rest on what we've already done. We need to be fighting going forward. There are things that the American people elected us to do, and we still need to get out there and do them. Um, we do that, then we're going to be fine and the elections. That's how, that's how democracy works, especially when we're up against a party that just wants to fight culture wars. That's not gonna help people in their lives. Our job as Democrats is to help hardworking Americans, and we can do that. We can make government work, not just for the billionaires, not just for the giant corporations. We can actually make it work for everyone, but we need to get up and do it. Senator, the Biden administration is reversing what's known as Title 42, a Trump-era rule, making it easier to turn away migrants at the border. That's going to happen in less than a month. But almost a dozen of your fellow Democratic senators are expressing concerns about this. You support lifting Title 42. So what is your plan to, uh, to handle a likely surge in migrants? And are you confident that they will be treated humanely? Look, Title 42 is not consistent with our values, and it doesn't keep us safer. Uh, The Biden administration is putting plans in place to deal with people who are asking for uh, amnesty and humanitarian relief at the border. 
But keep in mind, we need comprehensive immigration reform. And that's something all the Democrats are on board for. We have to work out the details. We still need to be in that fight, though. That's where we need to make significant change. President Biden just unveiled another $800 million package to help Ukraine. It's more mm -hmm. heavy artillery weapons, tactical drones, economic help, and a new refugee program. But he's almost exhausted all of the money that you mm -hmm. and Congress approved so far. What is Congress going to do when you return this coming week? Uh, if President Biden asks for more money in order to support Ukraine, either militarily or for humanitarian relief, then I will support him in that. And I believe all of the Democrats will. And uh, before I let you go, I want to ask about something the New York Times reported uh, this past week. They revealed new audio from House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy from the days immediately following January 6th. Uh, listen to what he said in two separate calls that, again, the New York Times reported. He told me he does have some responsibility for what happened, and he needs to acknowledge that. The only discussion I would have with him is that I think this will pass, and it would be my recommendation we should be done. You know, he's not saying that now. What's your reaction? Kevin McCarthy is a liar and a traitor. Uh, this is outrageous, and that is really the, the, the illness that that pervades the Republican leadership right now, that they say one thing to the American public and something else in private. They understand that it is wrong what happened, an attempt to overthrow our government, uh, and that the Republicans instead want to continue to try to figure out how to make 2020 election different instead of spending their energy on how it is that we go forward in order to build an economy, in order to make this country work better for the people who sent us to Washington. Shame on Kevin McCarthy. Senator Elizabeth Warren, thank you so much for joining me this morning. You bet. Good to see you. Up next, the first ever Ukrainian-born lawmaker elected to the U.S. Congress joins us exclusively from Kyiv in the very middle of a personal trip. And ahead... There are tapes. Will Kevin McCarthy's private words cost him his dream job? It's likely really dependent on a man named Donald Trump and his temper. Welcome back to State of the Union, a homecoming to a hellscape. Congresswoman Victoria Sparts was born in Ukraine near Cherniv. Both of her grandmothers are still there, living through Vladimir Putin's eight-week-old war. Sparts was on the front lines earlier this month to observe the ongoing fighting and devastation, including in Bucha. And she is back in Ukraine today to celebrate Orthodox Easter. Republican Congresswoman Sparts of Indiana joins me now from Kyiv. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Happy Easter to you. Uh, first, what's it like to be back there? It should be a celebration with your family and instead, you see your country of birth under assault. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you really for covering what's happening in Ukraine, because this is very terrific. I mean, it's terrible. It's a horrific situation, but it's also so inspiring. And I felt, you know, that it's so important for me to go and see my grandma, who's 
getting very, very old and you don't know how many Easter she's going to have to support the people here because they very, they fight this big war for freedom. And I think, you know, we as Americans, you know, when we look at that, it makes us stronger too. But it was interesting. I talked to one of the American here today and he told me, you know, Victoria, you know, these Ukrainians, they're more actual Americans than I thought. They really remind me of Americans and they really inspire all of us. So I'm happy to be here to support them in this very, very difficult times. What's it like there in the capital city at this moment? Well, I think, you know, I actually met with the, church, with the head of Ukrainian church and people, you know, even they go through troubles, but they try to celebrate it. They also had today, you know, uh, they, they brought the uh, fire from Jerusalem to go around the country and bring this Holy Spirit of Jerusalem. And I happened to be there when the, it was crossing the border. Mm. So they actually let me greet it with one of the priests. And that was really amazing experience for me. And I think that that's a God's blessing for this country because God supports people that, you know, fight for good and people that really fight the evil. And these people do fight the evil. Wow, that sounds incredibly powerful. President Zelensky says that Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin are visiting where you are in Kyiv today. Does that send a strong enough message of solidarity from the U.S. government? Well, I think it's important. I'm glad to see some of our elected officials do come here because, you know, our people do support this fight. And it's important for us to be on the ground and show that, you know, our country stands with the people of Ukraine. I hope I send a letter to, to uh, Secretary Blinken. Maybe we could bring some of that diplomats at least back to Lviv. It can help some Americans here, but also to work better with Ukrainian government. So I think we can do that. So I'm glad to see some step. And I hope President Biden will actually someday to make here to meet uh, with President Zelensky. Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson came to Ukraine. I think we can do it. We're strong people. We're strong country. We definitely can arrange for our people to come here and visit Ukrainians. And you're saying that the U.S. should reopen diplomatic uh, facilities of some kind in Ukraine, which they currently do not have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of countries actually bring it back to Kiev, but the least we can do actually bring it maybe to Lviv, you know, and a lot of, you know, in any job, whether it's a political job or diplomatic job, you do take some risks. You need to be smart, but also that's a part of your job to do your service. And if you are not on the ground, it's very difficult to do your job. So I think it's important, but it's also strength, the strong message for Ukrainian people. They're fighting a big war and, you know, they're fighting for, for freedoms and for all of us. And and it's important for them to see that support it actually and and it makes them stronger and they're going to win it. But, you know, the visuals of that support and Americans being here, it will be very, very important for them. President Biden just unveiled another eight hundred million dollars, a package of that size. And it includes more heavy artillery weapons, tactical drones and also additional economic support. Are you satisfied that the Biden administration is doing enough? And if not, how much more money should Congress approve to help? 
Well, I think, you know, I'm glad to see in the recent few weeks that we actually start doing more, ser more serious support because they really need it. To tell you the truth, when we approved last package, I would probably flip instead of giving, you know, three and a half uh, billion to military aid and 10 billion to humanitarian aid that I haven't even seen it or actually given money to organizations like UN never to be seen anywhere and not really doing the job that they should be doing. We actually need to put more pressure, you know, for, for them to enforce humanitarian corridors, to do more uh, functions for them to, you know, negotiate peace. But I haven't seen them or do even humanitarian missions. Nothing is happening here. So I think, you know, they do need more security assistance, but we also need to ask some questions. What's happened with another 10 billion that we provided? Because I haven't seen it on the ground anywhere at all. Mm -hmm. And this people are suffering. And this humanitarian crisis are going to be very, very significant. And not just here, but it's going to destabilize the whole world with everything that's happened in the ports and everywhere else. So it's a very serious situation here. Congresswoman, we've been talking about protecting democracy abroad where you are in Ukraine. But I do want to ask about a different kind of threat to democracy here in the U.S. An audio uh, copy of a call that Kevin McCarthy had with some of his colleagues was obtained by the New York Times, where he shared some strong feelings about President Trump about what happened on January 6th. This call happened just days after the attack. Take a listen. One discussion I would have with him is that I think this will pass, and it would be my recommendation we should be done. He went on to say in another call that he, quote, had it with this guy. He's your leader of your Republican caucus. What's your reaction? Well, I think, you know, we'll have a lot of politics and I think, you know, election going to come and we'll do all these different debates. But I'll be honest with you, Dana, we need to really deal with serious issue right now. We have war in Europe. We have serious situation on the border and it's going to turn in catastrophe. And this is if we lift Title 42, Let's work on serious issues. I know there is a lot of politics, a lot of drama. And I'll tell you one thing, you know, our Republican Party is a very diverse party. And we have a diverse opinion, which is good. We don't have a top-down approach. Mm -hmm. So we have to have debates about issues and ideas. I think it's healthy. So I think, you know, I'll let's sort it out politics, but I really yeah. want us to figure out how we can find some common ground to work on issues. And, and even maybe on bipartisan basis, because we do have serious issues. And that's absolutely true. But one... Thing that's not a policy debate is the question of telling the truth. And it doesn't seem that he did. Does that bother you, particularly on something as grave and as important as what happened on January 6th? Well, I think they need to explain. I don't know. I don't have a preview of their personal conversation. Who said what? I think, you know, Lydia McCarthy and President Trump, they need to do explanation of what's happening and explain what's happening. I wasn't there. I didn't hear it. There is a lot of things people mm -hmm. try to spin. So I'm not going to be commenting, but I think they should discuss what's happening and, and send, you know, and explain what it was and why it is. But ultimately, people have different opinions. People change views. That's okay. That's a part of political process, you know, to communicate and have different views and learn about the issues and maybe change sometimes opinions and have debate and deliberation. That's very healthy. You know, so it's not necessarily people maybe not tell the truth, but people can change an opinion based on learning about circumstances. So I wasn't there, you know, but I tell you one thing that I was very surprised. I was in the chamber on January 6th that after we had breakthrough in the chambers that it took us almost an hour 
before Nancy Pelosi stopped the session. That was surprising for me because it posed a lot of risk for the members inside and for also our Capitol Police. And we never got an answer to that question. So hopefully someday we will. Before I let you go, Congresswoman, we talked at the beginning about your grandmothers. They are still there in Ukraine. You were able to attend Easter services with one of them earlier this morning. There's a photo of both of you. She's 88 years old. The other is 95 They've both lived through so much. They've lived through the horrors of Hitler and Stalin. And now Putin. You must be incredibly worried about their safety. Well, I do. And, you know, and I honestly, they're really in shock. They couldn't believe after everything that Ukraine went through Stalin, World War II, almost most of my family was killed. My grandmother that I met today was her father, her mother. Everyone was shot because they were helping to lead partisan movement, her father. Mm. You know, and really, Ukrainians, I mean, paid for so much blood, you know, to, to win that war. So for her, it's like unbelievable. But I'm more worried about these young kids that now getting shelled and killed and raped. They're raping teenage girls. The atrocities that happen in this country, even some men that talk to him, they start crying. Mm. I mean, this is so bad. You know, I mean, this is something that's unbelievable. And world has to help Ukraine to win this war, bring the peace back to Europe and bring the international order back. That's a responsibility yeah. for us. And we need to put more pressure on Russia. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, thank you so much for joining me this morning. And uh, happy Easter to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. The U.S. arrives at another coronavirus crossroads. Are mask mandates on planes gone for good? And do you need a fourth shot? We are going to ask the new doctor in charge of the Biden White House COVID response. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. It's COVID fatigue versus COVID frustration. Two plus years into the pandemic, masks are off pretty much everywhere, including planes, trains, buses, after a federal judge ruled that that is possible. But as a new variant is driving case counts higher again, is the new normal here to stay? Well, with me to talk about that is Dr. Ashish Jha, the Biden administration's new coronavirus response coordinator. Thank you so much for being here, I should say, because it's you, especially we both tested and tested negative before talking in person. So coronavirus is spreading. It is mutating. U.S. cases are still pretty low, but climbed more than 50 percent in the last two weeks. What will the next few months look like in your mind? Good morning. First Good morning. Of all, thank you for having me here. Um, Yes. So indeed, first of all, take a step back. We're in a much better place than we have been throughout much of this pandemic, right? More than 200 million Americans vaccinated. Uh, hospitalizations are at their lowest in the entire pandemic since March of 2020. Um, but you're absolutely right. Case numbers are rising, driven by this BA2 uh, subvariant of Omicron. And we're going to watch this carefully. I mean, my expectation is that we're going to see cases go up. We're going to see cases go down. The key things make sure that hospitalizations and deaths are not rising in any substantial way looking at variants, paying very close attention. Um, let's see where the next few months go. I'm, I'm concerned. I want to watch those numbers. Uh, but at this point, I remain confident that we're going to get through you this know, without disruption. We were talking before the show about this, this, this figure, 50% increase in the last two weeks, and about how that last year would have made everybody go back inside. But it is a different world now. And there are questions still that a lot of people have about 
What, what do you do with information like that, that yep. case counts are rising? Yep. So um, first of all, absolutely right. We would have reacted to this differently a year ago. Cases are still important. Infections are still important. We want to keep those infection numbers low. But they mean something different now than they did a year ago, right? They mean something different because people are vaccinated and boosted. They mean something different because we have a lot more therapeutics available. Um, so we are going to have to change our behavior and respond in a different way as the pandemic evolves. And I think at this point, responding with care and caution, but not overreacting is critical. So one of the ways that we have changed our behavior, thanks to a federal court ruling this week, is there are no mask mandates on planes, on trains, on buses. You mentioned that deaths are at their lowest rates, hospitalization numbers are better. Uh, Most airlines and many transportation systems did follow suit and lift their mandates. So take aside the legal dispute right now. Do you believe a federal mask mandate on transportation is necessary? So let's go back to about 10 days ago when the CDC scientists asked for a 15-day extension. Why did they ask for that? What did they say they needed? All the stuff we've been talking about, new BA2, cases are rising. And they said we need a 15-day time period to assess whether that is going to lead to a big spike in hospitalizations and deaths. Anytime you have a new variant, you want to know how is it going to play out. That's what the CDC scientists asked for. I think it's really important in a pandemic to be able to to do things like that, give scientists time to assess this. That was the basis for asking for that extension. I thought that was very reasonable. I wish we had been able to carry through on that. I want you to listen to what Dr. Fauci told my colleague Casey Hunt this week. I was both surprised and disappointed because those types of things really are the purview of the CDC. This is a public health issue. We are concerned about that, about courts getting involved in things that are unequivocally public health decisions. I mean, this is a CDC issue. It should not not have been a court issue. Can you clarify that? What is the Biden administration position on the judicial branch and its right to have influence over public health policy? Yeah. So the judiciary plays a really important co-equal branch of government, right? Uh, Very, very important. Um, I believe that decisions around those should be driven by the scientists, right? Whether people should be on mass or not, that, that certainly is what it means to follow the science and to look at what the scientific agencies uh, are recommending. Obviously, the judiciary has an important role to play. Um, what, I, what you heard out of the administration, out of the Department of Justice, was, was the assessment that this, this was a, uh, a, an incorrect decision, and the DOJ is now appealing that decision. There is so much frustration among a lot of parents who have children under five, that there is not a vaccine yet for them. What's the holdup and when will it get done? Yeah, I have a lot of friends with kids under five Mm -hmm. and I totally understand they're frustrated. I am frustrated on their behalf. Um, Throughout the whole pandemic, we have made these determinations based on when we have evidence and data. Um, right now, neither Moderna nor Pfizer have yet submitted an application for an emergency authorization. We expect Moderna to do that this week. And then the FDA scientists are going to do what they have done throughout the whole pandemic, right? which is they're going to evaluate the data. They are going to assess it for safety and effectiveness. And they're going to make a determination of when, when it meets their standards. They're going to make that determination. So when do you think that could be? You know, it's really hard for me sitting here to prejudge that analysis um, they will move very quickly as they have throughout. I have no expectations that uh, you know, there can be any major hiccups, that this should move quickly. So you're talking it's going to be May next week. You're talking the spring, the summer? 
So, I mean, again, my expectation is certainly going to happen in the next couple of months. People want to make summer plans. I understand. <laughs> I understand. And that's my my mental model is going to happen in the next couple of months. Um, if you look at the timeline of how we've done this in the past, that's been the timeline. I'm expecting that to, to be, again, what happens here. Very hard to prejudge a specific date and time. We really have to let them do their work. We want to be fast, but we want to get it right. Dr. Ajisha, thank you so much. Again, nice to see you in person. Nice to see you in person. Thank you. And Florida's governor tells Disney, you know, just stick to cartoons. What does the latest front in the culture war mean for the midterms? We're going to talk about that and much more with our panel. They're here after a quick break. Did you tell House Republicans on their January 11th phone call that President Trump told you he agreed that he bore some responsibility for January 6th? I'm not sure what call you're talking about. I've been very clear to the president. He bears responsibilities for his words and actions. He told me he does have some responsibility for what happened, and he needs to acknowledge that. Welcome back to State of the Union. We're here with our panel. Scott Jennings, I'm going to put this to you. You heard the contradiction there. What are the implications? Well, I don't think there are really any implications because it doesn't seem like the House Republican Conference is uh, revolting against uh, Leader McCarthy. It doesn't sound like Donald Trump from the reporting is upset with Leader McCarthy. And I think if I were in his shoes, I would just pivot back to what the midterm is going to be about. Inflation, crime, immigration, and those issues that matter most to the American people. I'm sure as he gets beyond the election and if Republicans win the House, some people will try to make hay out of this. But I don't get the feeling today that this is going to have any impact whatsoever on his attempt to become speaker after the Republicans win. Alyssa Fair Griffin, you worked in the uh, House for a Republican member. You worked in the Trump White House. Uh, you heard that President Trump, Scott referred to this, told the Wall Street Journal he's not mad at McCarthy. I think it's all a big compliment, frankly. Yeah, I think right now Donald Trump is actually kind of relishing the fact that he's gotten <clears throat> people to flip so much since where they were on January 7th. I would disagree a tiny bit with Scott. It does not have any impact on the midterms. You're right about that. But I think I was in the House in 2015 when McCarthy was denied the speakership by the rightmost flank. That rightmost flank is going to be much larger after these midterms. And they're going to use every piece of leverage they have either to get one of their own into leadership or to get some real extractions out of him. So my prediction is you're going to see about a year of Kevin McCarthy having to really suck up to the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Paul Gosars of the world to keep those people in line, which is unfortunate for countless reasons. Well, it remains to be seen. So we've heard these tapes leak. Who knows if there will be more. And also, it's not as if Donald Trump takes a position and always sticks with it. So we may see him wake up tomorrow and change his mind. But I just wish that Republicans could be more brave in public. It reminded me of a meeting that I had with someone over in our, our state Senate who told me, don't you dare leave, leave here and tweet and say we had a good meeting. If only we could talk in public about how we get along and how we work across party lines, and I think the country would be in much better shape. A Republican said that to you in Georgia. Absolutely. <laughs> a Republican leader who shall re remain nameless. <laughs> Absolutely. First of all, I think one of the lessons is also don't lie. I mean, we've seen this time and time again in crisis communications. Once you lie and there is a tape of any sort then you're in bigger trouble. But the reality is, is the hypocrisy from the Republican Party saying one thing in private, then saying something else in public 
is just, I mean, do you really want to be seen like that to the American people when this issue shouldn't be political? Sochi, I say this with with respect. You sound like a Democrat. (laughs) Because what Scott just said is there is no lesson here. It doesn't matter. Well, the, the, the question is, what happens next? I mean, you know, there are some crisis communications lessons to be learned here, perhaps. But are but, there? But is this even a crisis? Sure. Well, and isn't it a crisis that it's not a crisis? I mean, I mean, it, it, it overtook a couple of news cycles. But the question is, you know, six months from now, eight months from now, a year from now, is this going to have any impact on on his seeking this? And I, I just don't personally believe that it is because his constituents are the House Republican Conference. His constituency is not you know, with all due respect but, to J-Mart, the New York Times. And so his constituents don't seem upset about it in this moment. And, and if they don't get that way over time, and if Republicans win a big victory, I, I just don't see them holding it against him. I do think it's emblematic of a bigger problem problem in the Trump era, which is for the last five plus years, Republicans have said something very different privately than they've said publicly. Um, I, You know, I'm somebody, and I'm sure I was guilty of it at some point as well, but where you have so many elected officials that I talk to who who privately will say they don't want to see him in office. They're tired of what he was doing, the way that he's conducted himself since leaving, but then publicly are going to stand with him. I think that's problematic and it's revelatory to the public. They they don't really fall for that. I think that this will have an impact over time. Let's talk about what's happening in Florida and how that impacts uh, politics across the country. Ron DeSantis, the governor there, signed a law stripping Disney of its special status over criticism of Florida's law, which bans certain discussion about sexual orientation and gender identity in schools. Just a few weeks ago, right at this table, I asked a different Republican governor, Larry Hogan of Maryland, about that. The whole thing seems like uh, just a you know crazy fight. He wants to criticize Disney for expressing you know how they feel about that uh, that bill. I mean, they have every right to it. We have a thing called freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they can they can come out and say what they think. A former mayor of a uh, southern city. Do you think that there is something there that Republicans are kind of grabbing onto that is politically potent? Yeah, I, I think this is a very dangerous area. We saw it in Georgia when there was criticism from Delta Airlines over the new voter bill. There was an attempt to take away $35 million in gas tax credits. Now, the difference, Disney World can't just pick up and leave Florida, but when you target corporations who have choices, they can move their headquarters anywhere in the world, uh, then I I think that it is a very dangerous path for the Republican Party, especially the party that claims to be pro-business. And you are stifling the ability of people to express an opinion. And um, what we see happening in Florida is the first, I'm sure, of many steps, as we've seen in Georgia. And we are seeing it across the country. A Democratic Michigan state senator went viral this week for uh, forcefully pushing back Mm -hmm. against these Republican efforts. Listen to that. The very notion that learning about slavery or redlining or systemic racism somehow means that children are being taught to feel bad or hate themselves because they are white is absolute nonsense. We cannot let hateful people tell you otherwise to scapegoat and deflect from the fact that they are not doing anything to fix the real issues. Is that how Democrats should react across the board? Well, I think that Democrats should call out the fact that Republicans continue to focus on culture wars instead of, for example, fighting the pandemic, fighting Russian aggression, ensuring that we are doing everything we can to bring down costs. If 
Republicans want to make this an election about culture wars, then they're going to lose the midterms. One thing that Republicans should look at is the Democratic playbook after we lost everything in 2016. Democrats weren't out there fighting culture wars. Democrats were out there running on health care. They were running on issues to make people's lives better. That's how we won the House, the Senate, and the White House. And if Republicans don't do that, then they're not going to win. Republicans are really unhappy with some of these corporations in Georgia and Florida and elsewhere who wade into these issues with aggressive stupidity in that the CEOs of these companies who call up like Ron DeSantis, like the CEO of Disney did, and hasn't, haven't read the law. They buy into the narrative about a law, just like Delta and Coca-Cola and MLB, whoever bought into the narrative about the Georgia voting law, but they didn't bother to listen to their people or whoever about what's actually in the law. And so I'm of two minds. I'm a little nervous about conservatives using government to punish people. But at the other end of it, I think somebody needs to be taught a lesson here because what they portrayed the Florida law as was not what at all uh, it really does. And the CEO of Disney kicked open the saloon door here and started shooting from the hip and he winged the bartender and the piano player without realizing where he was. And Ron DeSantis, the sheriff, came in and said, not in my town. I'm sympathetic. But you don't think there should be criticism of a voter law that says you can't hand out water in 90 degree weather when people are standing in line to vote in Georgia? It is easier to vote in Georgia than it is in Delaware, than it is in New York, than it is in all these other states. The way the voter law was portrayed in Georgia by the media, the way the voter, the way this so-called don't say gay bill was portrayed in Florida was a complete lie. It was a farce. It was a narrative. And these CEOs got into a situation that then got out of their control. And I would think they would use this as a learning experience. But I will say, I think it's the wrong focus for Republicans. The culture wars are undoubtedly very animating for a certain segment of the base. But we have inflation to run on, high fuel prices under President Biden, an economic struggle that the entire country is feeling. That's where we should be focused. That brings out the broadest swath. But if you're you're Ron DeSantis, where he's an expert, this man has all the right enemies. And I don't know if it's by luck or smarts, but it doesn't matter because he has picked all the right enemies and this is the right enemy for him. But we're, we're, we're going to have to leave it there. <laughs> we, uh, we have a lot more to talk about. We'll get back next week. Up next, the man who took on Vladimir Putin and lived. Stay with us. This coming week is Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day in Israel, but commemorated worldwide. A musical now on stage in New York is all about that, remembering, or in this case, teaching about a very famous group of comedians and singers you've never heard of thanks to the Nazis. The story's relevance today is chilling. These six brilliantly talented young men not only found musical harmony, but they found personal harmony. Even in their relationships, a Jewish fella marries a Gentile woman, a Gentile member of the group marries a Jewish woman. It was harmonious in every way, standing in stark contrast to what was happening in the world around them. We don't know them in America, but they were so famous that the story is even weirder because what happened to them, they just disappeared. All their records were destroyed. Destroyed. All their movies, 12 movies, were burned. They just annihilated them after being so tremendously popular around the world. Harmony's relevance now is chilling, with war raging in Ukraine, innocent lives disrupted by hate. Doing this musical now 
with everything going on, not just in the world, but with anti-Semitism on the rise. Unprecedented new levels of anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think one of the many joys about doing this show now is that it seems to be resonating right. more than ever. And that's remarkable that after everything we've been through that it's landing at this time. But, but it sounds very current. It sounds very current. And you can watch my special Being Barry Manilow on demand. Tonight, the unbelievable true story of the man who took on Putin and lived to expose the truth, the Sundance award-winning CNN film Navalny premieres tonight at 9 p.m. right here on CNN. Владимир Александрович, это Навальный Алексей вас беспокоит. Хотел узнать, зачем вы хотели меня убить. Remarkably, Vladimir Putin faces a legitimate opponent, Alexei Navalny. I don't want Putin being president. If I want to be a leader of a country, I have to organize people. The Kremlin hates Navalny so much that they refuse to say his name. Passengers heard Navalny cry out in agony. Come on. Poisoned? Seriously? We are creating a coalition to fight this regime. If you are killed, what message do you leave behind to the Russian people? It's very simple. Never give up. Navalny, tonight at 9 on CNN. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.